0: that pulpit is until you don't have room to put all your notes and then you feel exposed because there's nothing to hide behind. (laughs) Um, So we're going through sayings of Christ while he was on the cross. Last week, um, it was, Father, forgive them, and this week. It is um, getting to Luke twenty three and verse forty one. Oh, verse forty three, rather. So Luke twenty three forty three, the saying on the cross from Christ um, was, "And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise." Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll uh, get started in this lesson. Precious Father, Lord, as we come to you, God, I ask that you would uh, calm my heart, calm my mind, Lord, that the words that proceed from my mouth would be that which uh, you desire. Lord, that if there's one here that is not saved, they would see their need today. God, through the services provided, that... um, Christ is there to reconcile them to God. That sin separates them from a holy and righteous God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we look on the board here, I got a bunch of things written up. Um, I got belief, contrition, humble and repentance on this side. And on the other side, I got disbelief, hate, selfishness and resentment. You know, is... We um, get into this lesson. It's like, okay, well, what's that got to do with? Verily, verily, I say unto thee. Um, there are two different categories, if you will, of people in this world: the saved and unsaved. Right? I mean, we agree on that. And this is just a small example of those the the thoughts, the ideas go through the mind. As we go through this lesson today, we're going to talk about that a little bit, Um, but trying to make this like school, and so everybody learns something out of it, and not just saying, oh yeah, I know about this, and glaze over. Um, The first thing we're going to look at is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and most of us should, should be able to quote this. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. And so as we get into this, we're actually going to apply the cross to Ephesians 2.8 and 9 and how it affects us in our daily lives. Um, here, I don't know, it was probably about a month ago, I had a co-worker uh, that had invited me out to lunch or dinner rather with uh, their uh, family and we sat down and right at the bat the person asked me for my testimony and i gave it and he was like oh well, that's you know it's really exciting to hear your testimony this and that he's like but You know, I'm not so sure about eternal security, eternal salvation. You know, it, it happens, you know, many times. And, you know, I'm not one that's good at debating. But at that point, it was a challenge to me. I couldn't sit there and pull scriptures out of my head and refute this guy. And he didn't push the issue either, but... Again, that's, I mean, we're here to learn. We're here to apply. Um, and out of the lesson today, um, there was a bunch of, you know, it was like 12 pages of information that Pastor Ed Humphrey had given me. But one of the things that I really took out of it was the fact that not everybody believes the salvation is only of Christ, they think it's Christ plus. So, as we get into the lesson today, the question that I have for you, we'll ask at the end, is which category are you in? Are you redeemed? Are you condemned? Do you trust in Christ, or do you trust in self and your works? As I said, uh, last week's lesson was about Father, forgive them. And when He was on the cross asking the Father to forgive these men, as pointed out, he was saying, Father, forgive these men that whipped me, that scourged me, that beat me with their hands, that spat on me, they ripped the hair off my face. I mean, displayed him for everybody to see. And yet, in the heart of contrition, Christ says, Father, forgive them. You know, we also, pastor pointed out the fact that these guys, they're hanging, and the only way that they can breathe is to push up. And so, you know, it wasn't a huge sermon, like the Sermon on the Mount that Christ gave from the cross. But the things that Christ said as he was on the cross had such impact that it affects our whole world. Um, thinking of the fact that as He was on the cross and He says these short phrases, refutes the heresy of men. He refutes the fact that in the lesson today, that salvation is of works. So one would say that, well, that's kind of, you know, that salvation is just Christ and Christ alone. That's kind of an exclusionary statement, isn't it? But on the same hand, what is it that makes it exclusionary? It isn't because Christ doesn't want others to be saved. It's the works of man. That causes the gospel of Christ to be exclusionary. You know, in uh, John fourteen six, what you know, Christ was telling disciples, what did He say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Another, you know, again, it's a short statement, but what is it? What's the point behind it? You can do all you want to do, but in the end, it's Christ and Christ alone. You Galatians 1, 8, and 9, if you want to turn your Bibles there. Galatians 1, 8, and 9. He says, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed as we said before so say i now again if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received let him be accursed and so the idea is man is going to do what he needs you know create his ways to make him feel good about himself but in the end it's christ and christ alone so as we get into this lesson You know, we see that, um, again, men try to create many ways. Um, One of the ideologies that is refuted in the statement of Christ today um, is purgatory. A place of state of suffering inhabited by souls of sinners who are making up for their sins before they enter heaven. So the idea that, you know, I die and then I'm going to go to a place and I'm going to, in torment, pay for all my sins so then I can be accepted into heaven. And, of course, again, as we look at our statement today, what did Christ say? Today you will be with me in paradise. It wasn't in a hundred years. It wasn't, you know. Universal salvation is another idea that's out there. Um, And I say these because, again, as this friend of mine had challenged me, I was like, "Uh, if I don't know what other people believe, how can I begin to say, well, this is what the Word of God says. Universal salvation. The idea behind universal salvation is the idea is no such thing as, there is no idea as an eternal hell or annihilation because God has planned the universe to produce a positive outcome for all. And so with that said, if we, I mean you just look at the world around us, we know that there's not a positive outcome for the actions of our flesh. Soul sleep is another idea that's out there. The belief the soul becomes inert after death and are not conscious of anything, and remain in that state until the final resurrection. So the idea being that, you know, okay, I die, you just throw me in the ground, and I'm just there. I don't do anything, I don't know anything, and then, you know, whenever the final resurrection is, then I'll be brought back up. Uh, But if you look at Luke 16, verses 22 through 24, we'll turn there. And, of course, this is the, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. It says, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried unto the father Abraham, Have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So again, from God's Word, we see, you know, there's this belief out there that, oh, well, you're just going to lay on the ground, and then you'll be raised up back up. We see... The rich man died, and immediately, what happened? He was in torment. It wasn't, you know, a thousand years or whatever, and then something happened. Baptismal regeneration, and this is one that we have talked about multiple times, just in, in different lessons and, and different sermons that have come across, but... Baptismal generation is the name given, which means salvation is intimately linked to the act of baptism. Without it, salvation is impossible. And then others believe it just merely secures your salvation. So the idea that, you know, okay, well, if I did come to a point and admitted that I am a sinner and that I need to be saved and I go to Christ and I beg forgiveness, that has no work until you dip me in the water. And, of course, there's many things about that that uh, we would disagree with. But um, one portion of that, one thought that goes along with that is that now I'm depending on a third party to do a work of dunking me in the water that's supposed to change me. And so now I'm depending on this other person, not just God, and not me going into the water, but I'm depending on another person to do some work for me so I can get to heaven. Um, In this um, letter that Pastor J.R. Graves had written, the relation of baptism to salvation, um, one of the many statements that were in there was, baptism is, not, um, baptism is not a sacrament in and by which our sins are actually cleansed away. In the Old Testament, there was no atonement without what? A blood sacrifice. All the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain pointed to the blood of Christ that was shed for the actual remission of sins. uncleanness there's therefore a, a sin for baptism there is not therefore a sin for baptism to wash away since we come to the blood first the baptismal cleansing cannot be real but declarative only since it does nothing towards the actual cleansing away of sin nor can it be said that it is through baptism We reach His blood, but through faith. So I say all these things because, again, you know, just to to get our minds going in the fact that you know there are people that don't believe the way we believe, and if we're not gaining or having an understanding of what they believe and how the Bible refutes it, then am I actually? being obedient to God and His Word, studying and being instant in season and out of season, ready to reprove or rebuke. So, again, talking about the blood, Paul says in Romans 3, verses 25 through 26, whom God has set to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. A couple other beliefs of baptism that are out there, the Greek Catholic Orthodox Church, holy baptism is appointed a sacrament of salvation, by which all past sins are washed away, and without which there is no promise of salvation. The Catholic Church says that the baptism of the church is given for the remission of sins. The Lutherans, um, one of their many statements, because they they all have slightly changing beliefs, uh, "Baptism baptism is not mere water only, but water put into God's command and united with God's word it affects the forgiveness of sins, redeemed from death and, from, and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe it. Not believe in him, but believe it, meaning, salva- or meaning baptism. And the last one I'll read is uh, a statement from John Wesley. Uh, the Methodist says, It is certain that our church supposes that all who are baptized at infancy are, at the same time, born again. And it is allowed that the whole office for baptism of infants proceeds upon this supposition. Again, we can continue on and on about all these different beliefs out there, but what do we believe? We believe God's Word, and God's Word says it is Christ, Christ alone. And even Christ, when He was on the earth... In his ministry, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So now that we've chased this huge rabbit and we've got it on the fire and it's cooking and you're going to fall asleep now because of the smell of it, roasting, um, we're going we're to talk about the thieves on the cross here just a little bit. Um, so why did one thief go to heaven and one did not? So, another thought that's out there is the holy scale idea. If I do really good, then it'll outweigh the evil that I did, and I'll get to go to heaven. And we, you know, again, we trust in these, we, they trust in these good deeds that they do to get them there. But we know, as we look at the thieves on the cross... This day, what happened? He died. He was in paradise. Okay? He was on the cross. Why? Because Rome found the guy guilty. Rome decided in their courts that he deserved this horrible punishment, a suffocation, if you will, by hanging by his arm. So if, if the thoughts in the laws of man looked at this guy and said that he was so vile and so wicked that he needed to be hung on a cross, more than likely the good things he did were very, very minuscule. And so if we tried to apply this holy scale to say, oh, well, you know, he did some good things and so that's why he got to go to heaven, we would say no it uh, doesn't line up with Scripture. Besides that, Isaiah 64, 6 says what? But we are all of an unclean thing. Our righteousness is a filthy rags, and we all do fate as a leaf, and our iniquities taken it away. So even if we did good deeds, when we compare it to the holiness of God, what is it worth? Something more nasty than dung. So the other idea would be that, well, God just favored the one thief, right? Well, you know, he just, he liked him a little bit better, and so that's why he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. But what does 2 Peter 3.9 say? The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, and that all should come to repentance. So there's two words in that, in that verse right there that, you know, again, we talked about exclusion at the very beginning of this lesson, you know, that it's either this or that. But according to God's Word, He's not willing that any should perish and that all should come to repentance. Kind of eliminates the idea that Christ is a respecter of persons on the cross, doesn't it? Uh, The other thing is, you know, you could look at Romans 2.11. Paul said that, for there is no respect of persons in God. So again, you know, we sit there and we say, oh, well, you know, if I do good things, then he'll accept me. No, because my good things are his filthy rags. And then we can say that he's no respecter of persons, so even if I did good things, and he looked at, oh, well, you're right, you did do this, and so we'll bring you along. No, it is black and white. And sometimes that's really hard to accept. You know, we say, well, it was just a little white lie. It really didn't mean anything by this. I wasn't trying to benefit myself by this. I just didn't want to hurt somebody else's feelings. The end of that statement is a lie, right? And the Bible says in Revelations, all liars shall have their place in the lake of fire. So again, God is no respecter of persons. You know, the other idea that goes along with uh, works for salvation and different things um, would be the exact opposite of that in the fact that, like the Calvinists, their belief is that God goes through and picks you, and picks you, picks you, up, oh, not you, Picks you. Oh, not you. And again, Romans 2.11 says God is not a respecter of persons. Second Peter says that He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So how do you refute that? Well, you got verses right there. That you can come back and say, okay, well, if you believe that God is going to go through and handpick who gets to go to heaven and who does not, then how do you black out this portion of Scripture. Because that's what they would, you might as well just take and, and cut it out of your Bible, throw it away. You know, and, and most people that want to sit there and argue the Scriptures with you about the exclusion of salvation, that's really what they're doing. They're picking little pieces out. Oh, well, this, this, no. We're we're not going to go to that verse. They cut things out. So application to this portion would be, know that uh, our righteousness is filthy rags. Our good works won't get us to heaven. And if I had maintained God's holy law all the way up to that little white lie, does it really matter? Well, James 2.10 says, For who shall ever keep the whole law and yet offended at one point, is guilty of all. So again, we come back to sin is vile, it's an abomination to God, it's a, it's a violation of His holy law, and I can't maintain it. So I'm guilty, and for the wages of sin is death. So what am I going to do? I, ha- I can't trust in my own works. If we go John three sixteen and eighteen real quick, and again these are you know not verses that uh, you haven't heard even recently. Um, they're verses that we uh, should have memorized, if you will, committed to heart, so um, we can talk with others. the only begotten Son of God. And so again, we see the exclusiveness, if you will, of the gospel, and that we got to trust in Christ and Christ alone. Um, But the idea is really the entire human race needs to deal with the issue of sin. You know, It's not that Christ came and condemned people, and so therefore they are going to hell. The idea is that this guy believed on Christ, and so he was not condemned. This guy did not believe on Christ, and so he was condemned to hell. Many times, and in, in, at least for myself, I can say, Definitely. I grew up in church. I knew all the answers. I knew the things to say. I was a people pleaser. We had the sermons on that here a while back, if you remember those. But the idea was that I sat in the pew where you're at, and I did all the right things that people saw, so people would look at me and say, oh, yes, he's a good Christian boy. He's saved. I didn't want to deal with the issue, and again, trusting in my works and all of these things. But to, to circle this back to where it's application, I didn't deal with the issue. And so by not dealing with the issue of my need of salvation, this is where I was at, Period. And so I say that because if you're here and you think, oh, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I'm, you know, well, I remember praying a prayer and, you know, I I, I took care of things I think. Don't trust in I think. The Bible says you can know that you have salvation. And, and, And I beg you, I implore you, I ask you to really look at your heart where you're at am I this person that says all the right things so people think I'm okay? But inside, I know that I'm, you know, as the Pharisees, I, you know, I'm a whited sepulcher and inside I'm dead man's bones. Seth made a comment to me about, I guess it was probably about two years ago, we were standing here talking, and he said, you can't fool yourself. Think about that. You know, when you hear sermons about Christ and His love and, uh, you know, eternal security, the list can go on and on and on. If there's a question, don't push it. Don't push it back. You know, when we were in Spokane, before I got saved... I was song leading. I was doing all these things. And the pastor could be preaching a sermon about rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and Nehemiah. You know, and he's talking about the fish gate and the dung gate and, you know, and all of these different gates that had to be rebuilt and how they apply to our lives and this and that. And I kept getting, like, this prick in my heart that I needed to be saved. I'm like, that's not even what the sermon's about. Okay, whatever. Push it back and and get along with life. I got to be saved because I'm doing this, this, and this, and this, and this. I prayed a prayer. I did this, this, and this. If at any point the Holy Spirit is poking you in the heart and says, This is you, you need to deal with this, don't trust in the works of man. rabbit number four how much time do I got <laughs> he's over there looking at his phone you got 10 minutes Um <laughs> uh, is one of those train sermons um so the idea is with this other thief he didn't reform his life after meeting christ again he's hung on a cross he's dying that day you know he's like oh well i need to do better <laughs> Too late. You know. Again, if, if you're at that point in life where you're on your deathbed, you have no opportunity to reform yourself and do better. But, again, Christ said, if you come to me and repent and beg forgiveness and ask and believe in the name of Jesus Christ, then you can have salvation. You know, the idea of good works and different things um, in reforming life. Uh, I look at Matthew 19, verse 6, and he says, uh, you know, one of the rich young ruler come to him and said, uh, Behold, one came and said unto him, Good Master, what good things shall I do to have eternal life? You know, and the fact that Christ is not a signpost, go this way, do this thing. You know, when, the, when this young, rich young ruler came to Christ and he said, good master, and then he says, what good thing? The word good there is the same. So he wasn't saying good master is like holy, righteous God. He's like, hey, you're a pretty good man and you believe this, so what should I do? It's not of works lest any man should boast. You know, the, uh, the last thing would be regarding um, this point. The thief that was on the cross that went to heaven didn't observe any sacraments. You know, number one, there's no teaching of sacraments in the Bible, meaning there's nothing that you can do to obtain salvation. Um, or the thought that you've got to be baptized, because again, this guy's not coming off the cross, so someone else can put him in water and say you're good. And he didn't observe the Lord's Supper. Number one, the Lord's Supper had just been initiated the night before, and so there were very few that even knew about it. Um, number two, it's not taught in the Bible that the Lord's Supper will save you. And then thirdly, this guy on the cross, he's there till he's dead. And in the end, he went to heaven. Why? Because of a broken and contrite heart and he repented and believed on Jesus Christ. You know, the other idea of baptism and salvation to refute it would be you could look at uh, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. You know, he says, What do I need to be baptized? What hindereth me? He said, You must believe, and then. So the difference between the two thieves one saw a man who could serve him. Hey, get us off the cross. Save yourself, save me. You know, self-serving, it's all about me. Kind of like our world today, doesn't it sound? You know, what, what, I, I need something out of this, so, you know, serve me. Well, the other man um, believed Christ is who he was, the sinless one. So the one thief railed on him, demanded Christ to do something for him while he was getting his just payment of hanging on the cross because he was a thief and the Roman government decided that that was the punishment that he deserved. You know, the attitude that we need to have is the same, and I keep trying to draw this line that you know, we fall into one of these categories. We're either the thief that goes to heaven or the one that goes to hell. The attitude of the thief here that was told he will be with Christ in paradise that same day, his attitude was one of acceptance. That Christ was Lord, is Lord. And he deserved honor and glory. Even while he hung on a cross, paying for our sin, and our sin was put on him, he was still God. And he still deserved that honor. Uh, Look at Colossians 1 15 through 18. After Philippians, Colossians 1, 15 through 18, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is, is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have preeminence. So the idea, again, is that we need to have the idea, the thought, the attitude, that Christ deserves preeminence in all things in my life. When I come to Him realizing that I need forgiveness for my sins. It's not just yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use him as a, as a magic genie. I need this. I'm not going to use him as a fire escape. Well, I don't want to go to hell so God please forgive me. No, it's the attitude of accepting of who he is and wanting him to take lordship over my life. You run it. You do what you need to do through it because I've done messed it up. So is your life a reflection of Christ and the obedience of His word? You know, Paul, when he was on the, the road to Damascus, what did he say? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And that needs to be the attitude of our heart and the attitude of our life. Again, when we talk about um, the things we do and our obedience to God and putting Him in preeminence, it's understanding that the things of my old life I know have messed it all up. My sin has separated me. There's nothing good about me. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new, crea- new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So again, if my life has the attitude of putting God in preeminence and I'm truly saved, the things of my old life are going to be in the past. It's done. It's under the blood. I'm going to walk away from it. You know, we, we talk about how miraculous it was that when Seth got saved, the bottle went away. And that's a great thing. And not to minimize that, but when you got saved, what of your old life went away? Sure, there's going to be temptations. But of your old life, what went away? Just something to put out there to think about. Because old things are put away, behold, all things become new. Another difference between the two thieves on the cross was uh, the one saw Christ as a guilty person and and justly getting what he deserved, and the other one saw him as a sinless one. The one thief looked at him and he said, Save us. You know, we're up here, you know, we all did wrong. Just, just get us off the cross so we can do whatever we want to do. He didn't believe that Christ was the Son of God. He didn't believe that Christ was God. He didn't believe that Christ was holy. Again, it was self-serving, hey, just do this and let's get out of here. And the other one, the other thief, he looks at the, you know, at the, at the thief that's railing on Christ, and he says, we're getting our just deserve. Justice is being served upon us. We were wrong. This man was sinless. So, in verse 40, we see that there's a, there's a fear of God there. There's an understanding that um, Christ was there paying a price for sin and not just uh, another thief paying for his uh, wrongdoings. Uh, we know that Christ, uh, as we look at Hebrews 4.15, um he, had, you know, he was sinless. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as like as we are, yet without sin. So he endured all these things. He was tempted in all these ways. And yet he's the only man that walked on this earth, the man God, Christ, that was without sin. So the difference between these men, like I said, is their attitudes. How they looked at Christ, how they trusted Christ. You know, Romans five twelve, uh, again another verse that you know we use and we quote a lot. Um, Wherefore. As by one man, sin entered into the world. And death by sin for all who have sinned. Right? It's one of those things that, you know, again, it rolls easy off the tongue. When we come back to categories, our life is here. All men start off on this side of the board. All for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in the attitude of Jesus Christ, in the attitude of what I believe that Christ did on the cross, and that Christ is willing to forgive me for sin if I repent, can place us in this category. Does that make sense? If I do nothing, I guess that's the point I'm really trying to get home here. If I do nothing to deal with my relationship with the holy righteous God and my vile, sinful life, if I do nothing, I'm condemned already. Five-minute warning. So, The two thieves on the cross, they said they all had different attitudes. As we draw the line here, we see one saw him as king, and one saw him as just an ordinary man. So again, I ask the question: where are we at? Are we making Christ king? We just believe that he's just another man? Our actions are going to speak. And if we wait till death to face it, it's too late. Because there's no purgatory. There's no way of having someone pray me out of hell. There's no way of paying for my sins afterwards because my payment for sin is death. And I will either pay for it in eternity in hell, or I trust that the sinless, righteous, just, holy God Paid for my sins on the cross. Let's pray. Precious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the truth that we have in your word. God, just uh, pray that you use the lesson today to touch hearts and, and maybe just cause us to think and desire to draw closer to you in your word and be able to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. And Father, that we would also have the courage, strength, and ability to uh, refute um, wrong doctrine as it's presented to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Jesus, man.